Here we go, episode 71 of the Hibs Ramble. Do not adjust your sets. I am back for the second week in a row. And back this week is Liam. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well, mate. I'm I'm feeling very blessed, very lucky to be in your presence this evening. So uh, thanks thanks for coming back, man. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. I thought I'd dip my toes in the water with the, with the intellectual one last week and then we'll bring the idiot back on this week. <laughs> Mark's not on, mate. Uh, that's at least at least I'm here. Hey, where are you, Cantona? Hey, Sean, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Always love being here. The original threesome. The no, best not really. Threesome. It's not really. If we want to get technical, it's not really. But nah, you're not. Uh, you're not really part of the original threesome, to be honest, Sean. So we'll not. We'll not go down that slope. Um. So I good result at the weekend. Hibernian. Uh, going th- along the halfway along the M8 to the Tony Mack. Um, I think when the team came out, probably a bit of confused faces. Obviously, there was four changes: um, Whitaker, Hanlon, Obita, and Venti were back in at the expense of Campbell, Miller, Rocky, and Stevenson. Um, Bit surprised by that, Sean, the the number of changes, or do you think it was needed given the result we got on Wednesday at Parkhead? Um, I think it was definitely needed, regardless of what happened at, at Parkhead during the week. Um, obviously that performance wasn't anywhere near the level that I was expecting us to get. I think we needed to freshen up. Um, personnel needed to be freshened up. Obviously, the 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 shape and stuff wasn't. Um because he's very rigid with that, which I don't have an issue with. But I think the changes that he made were the right ones as well, um, considering the opposition and considering what we're going to be up against. So couldn't really complain too much. And I think we're at that time of year, we spoke about it in the last episode with the fixtures that we've got coming up and who we're going to be facing, that we're going to have to try and get more out of some players. Um, and therefore, to get more out of them, they're going to have to be on the pitch. Yeah, Liam, the, given we've got... I think we've still got the joint, either the worst or the joint worst defensive record in the league with the 25, I think it's 25 goals conceded. Were you not thinking when you seen the team that it's a big risk to change three of the back four? And given how strong he's performed, I suppose strongly how two of them have performed in Miller and Rocky, obviously Liam Liam Miller, Lewis Miller um, dropping out of the squad completely, but no mention if he was injured or anything mm. was it did you take the same view as me is it of me changing three the effective back five was was the right call to make yeah i thought it was a little bit unorthodox call for monty to make you know considering how like how sean said how rigid and, and stubborn he is with his uh team lines and stuff but no it, it, they definitely needed to shake up the amount of games that we've had in quick succession and you know, you don't want your key players getting injured, so they needed to rotate it. But yeah, it kind of gave me the fear a wee bit that there were uh, that there were three changes out of the back four. But you know, it had to be it had to be done, I suppose. Um, again, I've still not seen anything about Lewis Miller, whether he was injured or 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 what. So I, I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, I think to be fair, the the players that did drop out didn't exactly cover themselves in glory at um, Parkhead on. On Wednesday, and as Sean, I think we spoke about it as well. That 
you know, there's there's instances like for Rocky, for example, where he's been really, really good in games. But like when he had like Neofsky just like ghosted off him completely and almost almost scored like those lapses in concentration. Do you think it's maybe especially for him, it's maybe just a wee a wee boot up the backside, given that you know he's got Paul Hanlon sitting waiting to to take his spot, and we'll we'll talk specifically about Paul later on, but it's also considering how strong a performance he put in as well. Yeah, I think um, I said I don't think Rocky's going to underestimate the players that we have in in the squad and the quality of what we've got in the squad, considering especially under previous management how in and out he was um, and how he was kind of out of favour. So I don't think he's underestimating that aspect of it. I think he appreciates every minute he he spends in a Hibs jersey, um, considering the journey that he's been on since he joined the club. Um, But I do think that he touched on the lapses of concentration. There are little bits of his his game that he still needs to improve on. Um, Again, touching on the, the opposition and the type of players that we're potentially going to be up against, maybe playing out for the back as much with Rocky being on his on his weaker side and taking it on his on his left foot. It might have been a little bit more awkward depending on the types of pressure that he was going to get from the, the Livingston attackers and the type of pitch that we're going to be on and, and the environment with the weather and the wind and stuff like that. So I think Monty done well to take all of that into consideration and Based on all, basing that on all these changes, I think that's kind of maybe partly the reason for the majority of them as well. Um, if any of our players are carrying any slight knocks and maybe not 100%, you don't really want to be risking them away to Livingston who haven't won in six and not scored in five when we can maybe get away with, with bringing in players like Paul Hanlon, for example, and expect them to know what, what's needed to get a result away at Livy. Aye, Liam, it's one of those games where... Like, I don't think there's a point in dissecting it piece by piece because it was one of those games that would likely get football stopped. Um, not because of, I wouldn't say because of us anyway, and I certainly think Livy gave us an, an actually a half-decent game, but more the conditions with the rain completely pushing it uh, and the wind kind of howling all afternoon. So there's only really a few a few major talking points. Just want to touch on, or no touch on really, but just obviously Martin Boyle, 300 games, his 75th goal. Um, and I've seen a comment about Boyle on um, Twitter, actually. It's, you think back to the 2016, he didn't even play in the final. Mm. Whereas now, he would be, like, if we had this similar situation now, he'd be completely wrapped in cotton wool. Um, I think in modern history, is it fair to say that he's probably the best value for money signing that we've had maybe since Ivan Sproul? Can you consider like the Why, like we gave that. we gave Alex Harris away and got Boyle in return? Yeah, well, you look at where Alex Harris is now. I mean, with all due respect to him, I mean the last team that he was at was what Edinburgh City. So, Berwick Rangers, I think he's at in the Lowland League. Berwick Rangers now. So, I mean, yeah. it just tells you everything that you need to know. Um, you know, who'd have thought that when we when we got Martin Boyle in all those years ago that he would turn into the player that that he is now? You know. The boy had absolutely no end product, and you know I, I wouldn't have been too gutted if we if we'd never got him back after yeah. that loan spell. But you know, uh, yeah, for value for money signing. I mean, absolutely, the fact that we've we punted them out to South uh, South Africa and the whenever Saudi Arabia got money for it and got him back in the end is ridiculous as well. I mean, the guy just screams Hibs. He's, I think. 
it wouldn't be it wouldn't be off to call him a modern day Hibs legend to be honest I mean the term gets thrown about an awful lot for my liking but no I, I think he I think he really is and yeah like you say value for money signing even more value for money for Eden Sproul because you you look at the goals that he scored against Hearts he's um, obviously part of the cup winning squad so yeah value for money uh, Sean it's quite a thing like considering he's never really played consistently as a striker and Leslie Liam mentioned how poor his end product was in the beginning one in four is actually not that bad given that he's predominantly yeah. played as a winger and even in his early days played, played sort of predominantly as a wing back as well yeah I was just going to make that exact point I think if you look at the type of player he was when he arrived in in comparison to where he is now like they're, they're night and day and there's such a dramatic change in his, his footballing ability and his even his physical appearance and stuff as well. He's still obviously quite slight, but he's got a bit bit more hair up top. Uh, <laughs> it's obviously improved his footballing ability. It's something I'm very, very jealous of. Um, but now nah, you're right in what you're saying regarding value for money as well. I think the amount of big moments that, that he's came up with during his time at, at Hibs at the early part of his career, he stepped up semi-final against Dundee United in the Scottish Cup. Big moment, pressure penalty, no problem for him. Obviously didn't play a part in the final and, and rightly so, like we didn't need him at that point. Uh, the type of player that he was, he was never going to get on, on the pitch considering the way the game was going. But that didn't you know, dampen his spirits, heavily involved in all the all the celebrations. And for that early part of his career, that's kind of what he was known for. He was known for what he was known for the the World Cup with the Australia squad in regards to just being there for the vibes and just enjoying yeah. it. He, he's got that about him, those different types of per, that different type of personality when he's on and off the pitch where obviously you hear all the players talking about how much he laughs and jokes and he's, you know, wind up merchant at training and at the club and if you're on board with him, you're on board with the club and stuff like that. But then when he crosses that line, he's a completely different animal, especially in the last couple of years where he can turn it on when he needs to Big yeah. game. He's so clinical. Yeah, big game. Uh, big game player for us now. And the finish that he produced at the weekend, I know it, I mean, I feel like it takes a slight deflection in a way, but the composure, the way he's opening up his body, angling it to the far corner. So if the keeper does get a touch, it, he parries it into hopefully a Hibs player's area. That, that finish there sums up his Hibs career because nine times out of ten at the beginning of his Hibs career he would have just Laced taken it. a swing at it hope for the mm. best it probably would have been a miss hit he probably would have skied it scuffed it whatever yep. whereas now he's and I, I guess part of it comes with you know football and maturity as well it was more of like a cultured finish and he, un, he understands kind of what is expected from him mm-hmm. and I feel like if if we asked for him to play at wing back now as well he would he would do a very very good job because he'd be more intelligent now than, than he's ever been, especially with, with what he's been through, the players that he's played with, the coaches that he's been under and the experience that he's got with the Australian national side as well. Yeah, I think it's I think it'd be we'd probably all agree it was that season the sort of one of the I think the second season back in the Premier League under Lennon. The gradient when he got the number ten. Yeah. Like when he, I remember going to the first game of the season and Lane being like why the fuck is Martin Boyle number 10? Like, that just doesn't sit right. Um, 
And he's just, ever, ever since then, I mean, and you think about that period as well, he's came back for two crucial injuries. And he's managed to still maintain his sort of status as the talisman. It's almost it's almost hard to think about a Hibs now without Martin Boyle. Obviously, we went through that six months when he was in Saudi, and it wasn't just his absence, but that was a fucking horrendous six months yeah. um, under Sean Maloney, and we had no sort of credible outball. I think next year, next year he would be yeah, would be eligible. Would you support a testimonial for him? Do you think he'd deserve it? Either one, he's can I'd pick that. Absolutely. I mean, he's given he's given an awful lot to the club. He's, I think he's one of the players who is, you know, internationally loved by the supporters. Um, you know, say what you want about Lewis Stevenson and Paul Hanlon, the other ones who have had testimonials recently. Obviously, Dave Gray, but he's not playing anymore. But I mean, uh, Martin Boyle, he's he's loved by everyone. Everyone. Everyone loves him. When he's not in the team, everyone's like, oh, we're missing Boyle today. When he gets injured, we're all gutted. Absolutely deserves a testimonial for everything that he's given at the club. Um, like I said earlier on, cup winner, uh, scored plenty of goals against Hearts, scored plenty of goals against Rangers and scored against Celtic as well. So that'll do me. Sean? Maybe. I think in modern football, I think he will get one. Um <laughs> And I think it'll maybe be one of those where it'll be when he's closer to the end of his, his career rather than being on the actual 10-year yeah. anniversary. Um, so, yeah, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it some wouldn't surprise me. Well. Yeah, and I think for him personally, the, the type of person that he is, he, he wouldn't necessarily want one when he's still what he would probably class as his, his peaker years in regards yeah. to his footballing ability. So especially considering what testimonials are for and everything that comes with them, it'll probably be one that, if he, he probably wouldn't want one at all, but if he's to get one, he would try and delay it as, as long as possible. I think what you when you touched on his, his goal on Saturday, Sean, that kind of gives us an indication of what happens when the inevitable pace drops a wee bit. Do you know what I mean? Because he's, he's never going to be as lightning quick. In, I mean, what is he, is he 30 now? I think he might be 30. I think he's 30, aye. So he's he'd naturally his pace is going to drop over the next two three years, and like you say that that sort of cultured, like that that very much was a finish that reminded me of Riordan and the way that Riordan used to hit the ball. Riordan never used to lace it; he always just used to sort of open his body up and look to sort of go beyond the keeper rather than try and hit it through the keeper. If that makes sense. Just um, but other than other than that, in the first half there wasn't really much much that happened other other than the as we can see behind uh, Sean's head uh, a penalty shout now Sean if you just keep leaning to your right a bit so you want me I'll just go out of shot I'll just lean yeah, if so that's what you're trying Curtis, to get at Curtis Guthrie um, has been crying to the media over the last couple of days uh, basically saying that he's astounded it wasn't a penalty um, that the smaller clubs never get anything against the bigger clubs, that it's a joke, it happens all the time, this, that and the next thing. I think, as you can clearly see for the image that Sean's provided, thanks to clearly Livy TV. By the way, just before that, you finish your point, Livy TV is the only video 
that has this as a highlight. Like the normal ACN. It, it was on Sports Scene. Uh, but Sports Scene is an extended package. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm. as in like available highlights online, SPFL, Hibs, Sky Sports, none of them showed this as a highlight at all. Uh, I so think that that's maybe a point to make. Yeah, that gives you an insight. So Guthrie's point was that he'd went across the ball to get his body between man and ball um, and that he was impeded while doing so. Yeah, as you can clearly see, there is no sort of body between man and ball. In fact, Joe Newell could literally just kick it through his legs if he wanted. And it just, I, I, I don't know about, Liam, what you thought, because that was up your end at the game, yeah. if you thought it at the time, but obviously I was up at the other end, so I didn't really get a clear view of it. But looking back at it, it's fucking, it's a horrendous way that he's tried to tried to win a penalty. There's if that if that was given, like that's the the game's up the pole for me. Aye, I mean that he he was on the flare more than he was on his feet on Saturday. He was an absolute disgrace when it comes. To, I mean, he's got an absolute brass neck. to talk about VR. He was trying to buy fouls left, right, and centre. Can understand what he's where he's come from with the VAR thing, but I don't think it's the case that small teams don't get decisions against big teams I think teams just don't get decisions that they're meant to get but that is definitely not a decision that should have uh, went to the monitor or should have been given so he can maybe stop his whinging if he's uh, if his tears are dried by now then maybe he can hear me saying um, listen get yourself a fucking haircut before you come out and try and uh, try and give me any of that shite again because I tell you what his hair is an absolute disgrace Sean, do you think that based on what we spoke about on Thursday, that the thresholds, etc., of what is a foul, what's not a foul, is there a part of you when you think about that that it's a surprise that we didn't actually concede a penalty? I am very, very surprised that that was not given as a penalty, and I'm not saying it should be a I penalty. More a foul on Joe Newell than it was. Um, well, I re- well, it was given as a foul to, to us, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Correct. So it should be. I can completely understand why he's moaning and why he's groaning because of the the decisions that have been given across the league, not just to the smaller teams, but to all the teams, predominantly certain teams further west than us. But all in all, the way that penalty decisions, we touched on it um, after the, the Celtic game, Craig, the way that penalties are getting given at the moment in regards to the threshold and what is and isn't a penalty, based on what's been given throughout the whole league so far this season, that incident behind me is a penalty. I'm still surprised it's not. it, it, it wasn't given. But to touch on the point that I made after the Celtic game, I don't think they should be penalties, but in the current laws of the game and the current remit of what they give, that is that that's a penalty. Um, and thankfully, that and another decision that we'll obviously come on to discuss later on has has went in our favour for once. Yeah, do you think that's probably played into the the fact that we weren't given a penalty? Sorry, we, we didn't concede a penalty. So it just goes to sort of reaffirm the point about the consistency of referees. Because if if that if that exact challenge and that exact Hibs player, but you swap Guthrie for Sima or Kyogo, you try to say that's not given as a penalty. It's one hundred percent. It's one hundred percent given. One hundred percent is given, and unfortunately, that is that is the nature of the beast that we we have within Scottish officiating. 
Um, if that happens in the middle of the park, similar to the discussion that we had during the week, it's given us a free kick. Yeah. Ryan Porteous used to buy fouls like that all over the park. Will, Will Fish has tried to buy a couple of fouls like that this season and got them. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Lewis Miller as well has been notorious for buying fouls like that when we've been under the cosh and yeah. the team's under the, on, on the attack. Obviously, the one against Aberdeen in the semi-final didn't go our, our way, but very similar to the, the one that's behind me. We've seen it all season. We've seen it for years that those types of challenges are given as, as free kicks. Um, the, thing, the thing that I'm going to talk about, right, and it comes back to the consistency thing, but we've moaned and moaned all season. But how how do these refs get better? Do they need to use VAR differently? Do they need to then give the penalty, give the red card, and then go to the monitor and double check? Or well, I mean, because it's it's a joke the amount of things that are being given that uh, that aren't penalties or aren't red cards, and um, the amount of things that are being not given that you know. Can I mean so? It's see for see for me, mental. I think no. Obviously, especially this season, a lot of decisions have been relatively similar uh, in regards to what has and hasn't been given for for and against certain teams. I think the problem is, and I think this plays into the part of the the consistency, the officiating across the league, is that I think because they're not full-time and they don't have the full funding and support that I think they, they require, they're learning on the job consistently. And I think that's part of the problem where we must be they'll learn only. they'll learn week on week. And this comes back to like VAR coming in halfway through the season. Like they brought it in, rushed it in, and then since that moment, whether it's been the officiating on its own or whether it's been VAR, the collective group of Scottish officiating, I think, has been learning on the job as it's went. And then they've had to bring in officials from a lower or standard, as in like the championship, and they've had to promote up from the leagues within, which has then also led to the officiating being slightly slightly worse as well. And mm-hmm. I think week on week, that is, or even like game week on game week. So like on a Saturday, a decision will be given or not given, and then we'll see it on the Sunday for one of like the teams that have been in Europe for during the week. They will then get the the opposite outcome. And I think it's because at the moment. They don't have the right level of support that they that they maybe need. I know people would maybe argue otherwise in regards to the bias day of it and stuff like that. But for me, I think it's more down to the fact that they're learning on the road on the job. So, like for example, this potentially wasn't a, a penalty this weekend, but two, three, four, or five weekends ago, it probably would have been. So mm-hmm. they're trying to iron out the issues which no one wants to hear because you want the same level of consistency from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. Yeah. But the fundamental problem is the fact that all these decisions are so subjective. Like There's no black and white ruling on whether that is a penalty or not. It's a penalty to some refs. It's, a, it's not a penalty. Not, uh, Jesus Christ, I'm talking properly. It's a penalty to some referees. It's not a penalty to others, which is where the consistency argument creeps in. And we're seeing it in... in England as well. I mean, there's a lot of noise about VAR down south at the moment too. So, do we need to just change the way that we use it? Do we need to get the on-field decision for a penalty like that as final, but we can use VAR for offsides and handballs, things that are more you know, uh, cut and dry, rather than things that are more subjective? Because like you say, it'll be it'll be uh, 
disallowed or not given on a Saturday, and then on a Sunday when Celtic or Rangers are playing, it'll be given. Plus, I mean, you look at that penalty versus the penalty, sorry, that challenge. If you're about to show someone with no knowledge of the two games and you showed the Stevenson one on Alistair Johnson side by side with that one and you went, what well, one in your mind is a penalty? I can guarantee you that 75% of people would say the Newell one's a penalty and the other one wasn't. Yeah, the Stevenson one was given and this one wasn't. But right, not to touch on VR for too often because we're coming the the Hibs Varmble. And not the the Varamble, you mean? Varamble. Uh, no, sounds better, to be fair. <laughs> um, aye, second half, nothing really nothing really just happened. Big, sorry, just to jump in, just because I, I didn't get to talk about the, the Hibs go very, very, very briefly. I just want to... Oh, sake, sure. make, no, I just want to make a point that I really liked the way that we threatened the Livingston attack in the first half and the first goal just epitomised what Monty's trying to do in regards to playing through the lines and runners feet deep. I don't know if a lot of people noticed it, but we managed to exploit Livy's back line quite a few times, especially for the goal, where we managed to catch out their last defender. And it might not be Venti who's playing on the last man or Boyle that's playing on the last man, but Jair or Eli Yuan have made that second and third man run. And because they have got the pace and they're running from deep, mm. that final phase of play that I keep rattling on about week in, week out, came to fruition quite a lot at the weekend in regards to getting into the final third. So I just wanted to touch on, in my opinion, how successful we were at that. So that's yeah. all. But yeah, you can move on to the second half. To be fair, it was a bit fortuitous in the way it actually bounced the boil. But ah, of course. But again, getting into that position was... Well, was we're getting, well, we're getting well into those positions quite often, to be honest, really, weren't we? When you're talking about sort of luck, though, Ken, it's always a thing. Luck needs to be on your side. That not getting given, you know, the Levy boy being a millimetre offside in the final minutes, the ball ricocheting to, to Boyle's feet, like those are the wee bits of luck that we don't seem to usually get. And conversely, you can see why, in a weird way, that has happened against Livingston, because that's the kind of thing that happens to you when you are down um, and struggling. But a second half, nothing really happened from our perspective. Obviously, it was offside goal. Um, Benny at least a yard or two off. Um, but other than that, I felt we weathered... Can I just the... get your opinions on that? Because I was of the understanding, and I'm happy to be corrected as, as you know, being wrong here, but I thought because it hit the guy's back, that completely wipes it out. Or has that rule changed again? Because I know, that, no, I know every offside? season... Was he not offside? Um, he was offside beforehand. When the ball was kicked, so... Does that not make him offside? I don't know what the rules are. Because I, I know in the, is, I, is the last two or three years, the rules regarding like that kind of phase of play, as well as um, like handballs and stuff, is, is continually changing. So it's quite hard to keep up with. But like in previous years, because he's not directly impacting in this first phase of the second phase of play, so after it's hit the guy's back or foot, because Venti's not the first person to then interact with the ball, he would have then been onside. I don't, I don't know. I, I, can't keep, I can't keep. I, I can't keep up with the changes, it, so I can understand why it was given as offside. Because I don't know what the rule is now, and hopefully someone on Twitter or YouTube can can correct me and, and, and see what that is. My interpretation of the rule is that if he was offside when the ball was kicked, regardless of if it took a deflection or not, then he's offside. Yeah, uh, which should, should be that. the rule anyway. Sean's Sean's on the right track. It has changed somewhat. I think 
I think it's based on the attacker's position versus the like. So he's practically on the line. So he was offside when the goalie. So when that ball's coming in, and the goalie's making that split second call whether to go or stay. They could just turn around and say, "Well, he's affected the goalkeeper's decision making. That's why the goalie's like stumbled when he's trying to come out for it or what." Um, no, that the goalie's just thinking. Yeah. So it's I uh, that's. I think there's no question that he was offside from, I'm when, not doubting that. from when the initial cross came in. But I'm, again, hopefully somebody can sort of point us in the right direction. Because um, I know the rules changed in the last couple of years. Yeah. They, they changed two or three rules before the World Cup, but only implemented it for the World Cup. So I can't really keep track of what, how it falls and what it falls under now. Because previously there was like phases of play and that came into it, that came into it as well. So, yeah. but listen, I get why. I was just wondering if either you or if anyone out there maybe cleared it up just a wee bit. I, I if, don't, it, if it I is, don't know why they've changed it like that though, because that then makes it subjective rather than cut and dry. No, it probably yeah. is cut and it probably is cut and dry now. I'm just looking no, for clarity. No, but if you bring in on... phases of play, then two people will see phases of play differently, surely. No, because a phase of play comes from when the ball's kicked. No, but for, aye, but from one point to another, no, from one phase to another. Well, you've got you've got when the ball's hit, when it hits the guys. So the, the, when the ball's kicked, you would then have when the deflection takes place. You would then have when I think it's maybe Martin Boyle maybe goes for it at the front post, which then interferes with the goalkeeper's decision making, and then the last one would then be Venti tapping it in. But hey, yeah, so I'm yeah. There's effectively three phases you play because you've got the initial cross, which is blocked. That's your first phase. The second phase is Boyle taking control of it and playing it. And then Venti kind of, it's almost like he's at the arse end of the second phase, but begins the third phase because he scores. Again, I'm probably like you, Liam. There's too many fucking ifs, ands, or maybes when it comes to it. It's like this handball rule. Like they've now changed the handball rule that it's only, like I think it was a, a Javier's got a goal disallowed in the last minute at Aston Villa because he handballed it. But if Nketiah had handballed it, and Havertz, had, and Havertz had scored it, or the other way around, then it would have counted because it wasn't the person who scored. Got the, got the direct, got the direct yeah. advantage from the handball. It wasn't the player who handballed oh, it that mate. ended up scoring. So it's uh, what, what, mate, Ken, what they're doing? They're digging, they're digging a hole for themselves with all these rules. It's Just no wonder it, fucking. It's no wonder the rest are shit. If you're beyond the last defender when the ball's kicked, you're offside. And it should be literally as simple as that. It doesn't need to be six or seven different fucking sub-categories. Listen, the, but the, the, the offside is probably as cut and dry now as, as how you've described it, Liam. I was just curious at the time as, as to no, what, what just, the ruling is now. Mate, it just annoys me, like, winds me up. Yeah. All the different stupid wee rules for something that is so simple. It's so simple as offside. I mean, and yes, it was offside. The correct decision was, was reached in the end. Well done, VAR. I mean, you've done your job brilliantly there. But fucking hell, like, there's... Oh, it just annoys me, Sean. I'm so sorry. I don't know about you two, but I'm very much in favour of the Wenger amendment to offside, where a player will only be offside if there's clear daylight between them and the defender. Yeah. See, now, what what does what do they mean by clear daylight, though? So there would be a, there would have to be a gap a literal gap between the defender and the forward for the forward to be offside. Any part of the forward's body that crosses over with a defender, regardless of what angle they're at, they would be classed as onside. Now, that would probably lead to... I think it would lead to a lot more goals. 
but it would also you're also slower running with the ball than you are without it as well. So it yeah. might for the slower attackers it might not have that much of a advantage. Yeah. But for for an instance like the semi final with Boyle, like a pinpoint pass, you know, takes the Aberdeen defence completely out and Boyle's as as is the law is adjudged correctly to be offside. Yeah. But I would like to see that amended. Like so for example, even though it would have done us on Saturday. That would have been um, onside. Yeah, that would have been onside. And you think that for a few millimetres of you know what obviously it looks like millimetres on the when they draw the lines, you don't know how close it or how far away it actually is. But that Singari's taken an unbelievable touch. Oh, phenomenal. To, and to work the space that he actually has, and for him to obviously ended up going in our favour. Um, I'll tell you, didn't he? When I seen the, the fucking ref going over to the monitor, that's for sure. But I see that for me, that feels like that's great attacking play that's being punished for such a minuscule measurement. Like if he was maybe, I don't know, a, half a yard, then you could kind of get it. But they're literally picking at millimetres. Um, I mean, I don't know what you felt about that, Liam, being in the ground. Obviously, you you kind of become accustomed to the fact that the longer the ref's got his finger to his ear, the more likely he's to go at the monitor. And then he does the fucking hand signals to go at the monitor. Were you thinking the worst at that at that time? Mate, my arse was biting my leg eh, because I'd made that um, that wee graphic that I put on the Twitter on Saturday. I'd made that like weeks and weeks and weeks ago. And I had it saved in the drafts, being like, oh, um, thanks for having us at Livy Official. And I was like, for fuck's sake, if I don't get to tweet this, I'm going to be furious. Um, so obviously, when it goes to the monitor, I'm thinking, what on earth is going on here? But um, in the group chat, I'm, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure Stu in the group chat said, oh, he needs to look at the offside, he needs to look at the offside. Couldn't really tell from where I was, from where I was sitting. I was sitting at the opposite corner. So... It was difficult. I just thought it was a, a really good save from Marshall and maybe there was a handball in there somewhere. So when he goes over the morning, I'm hanging up for fuck's sake. But maybe David Marshall can pull up a penalty save here. But then when he... I, I still don't understand what's happened, to be honest. Yeah, yeah I don't. I was me and Sean were speaking about it before we came on. It's like, in, you know, when you see these like clips of VR being released from the Premier League down in England, they start, what is it called? The APP, Sean, like the attacking yeah. phase of play. Yeah, so they, go they back start at the almost, beginning. They start at the beginning and they run through to try and find in. I mind that one day when they done it for um, Romero's red card against uh, Chelsea, and they worked through it and worked through it. Whereas with this one, they almost went right. It's a penalty. Like there's a clear handball. You're going to have to come over at the monitor. But apart, like supposedly it was the ref that was saying, "Is there an offside?" So they actually had to. The VR officials then had to go further back to determine if there was an offside light. And then the ref goes to the monitor and you're thinking, like, fuck, well, that's a penalty then. Like, the, the only reason they they've the monitor, sent the ref over to the monitor to try and confirm if it's a penalty? When it was offside. They, while, while they're trying to figure out if there's an offside. I'll tell yeah, you whereas, what, Whereas they never... should be doing it the other way about. Whereas you, the VAR should automatically, as Craig said, look at the beginning of the, the first phase of play, which is what they do in the A-League, which was obviously one of the first leagues or bigger leagues to, to get VR. That's what he, that's what he used to do then. So I've seen it loads. 
they start at the beginning of the phase they play and then they work their way up. So if there's a, an incident or an issue at the beginning of it, then the rest of it doesn't matter. Listen, it's a great save for Paul Hanlon and fair play to him. Um, <laughs> but I knew straight away like that the boy was offside. Like I, I could tell for the replays that it, that it was offside. So I was never concerned or worried watching it. Oh, mate, my uh, but I can understand, either. obviously, being in the ground and that, your arse would have been twitching. Um, so they should, like I said, take it from the, the initial phase. But Craig, like we were saying off off air before we started recording, like it's like they've done it the opposite way. So they wanted to get the, the decision right in regards to is it or is it not a penalty, make that decision and then work their way back. So it's maybe a mixture of what both of you have said, but what Liam said about it being um, getting the referee to check, right, okay, You've not given a penalty for this. Go and check if, and if you think it's a penalty, well, we are checking the offside. Comes to the right decision. It was offside. It would have been a penalty if it wasn't offside. So fair play. Well done, VR. Well done, Scottish officiating. You've done your job. Um, and thank God for once that that it was it was done right. To be fair, it feels like that um, Saturday was was one of the first times in a very very long time that the VAR decisions that were that were uh, made were the correct ones in all instances, to be honest. I mean, I know obviously Livy would, would argue with the one behind, but yeah, no, I, I'm in agreement. It certainly went in our favour. And I think to, to bring both those decisions together collectively and individually, those those are the, the right decisions and they should be the right decisions. But unfortunately, we have been on the end of both of those decisions, those types of decisions going against us. So it was good that for once it it didn't. Or it did sort of go in our favour. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was one of those um uh, it was one of those ones where as soon as as soon as I've seen the ref sort of so he's came away from the monitor and he's walked back towards the Levy bench. I'm like that they're not getting anything here. And then I've never celebrated a ref putting his right hand up in the air as much as what I did because I was absolutely snookered if I was going to spend the worst Saturday of the year sitting in that fucking absolute shit hole of a stadium, shit all over town, watching a shit game in shit weather for us to get done by a fucking 91st minute handball because Paul Hanlon decided that he wanted to be a goalie for the last two minutes. <laughs> Obviously, you know, it was just the way it happened. But um, I just... Turn, turned out into one of the best Saturdays, then, considering how the game ended um, in other parts of the country. Actually, yeah, but it also was bad because, when obviously, when you come out of the Tony Mac, it's pretty much, like, well, it's just pure pitch black. As soon as you know you get away from the stadium footprint, it's pitch black. And I stood in what can only be described as a big muddy mound. So if Liam if Liam wants to insert the uh, insert the dark song here, he's more than welcome to do that because I know I that tell you what, that is superb. Yeah, so that's the right, best news I've had all day. Right up the side of my dunks as well, right on the suede bit as well. So yeah, I wasn't wasn't a happy guy. Um, but I just sort of to wrap up on the game itself before we move on to our, our other stuff. Um, Hanlon, I thought Liam was solid yep. come back and there was always that you know I think we said it in the group chat when the team came out and we were like oh yeah it's Paul, Paul Hanlon up against Joel Nubley can't wait for this obviously as it transpired Nubley didn't get on but that Guthrie 
despite the fact, as you mentioned, he's got horrific hair. He was quite handy, and I thought similar Paul... Kind, similar kind of player, mate, to be honest. But I thought Paul dealt with him really, really well, and actually dealt with pretty much anything that came his way. Yeah. Um, I th- I felt the worst when, when Paul Hanlon's name was on the team sheet, given um, you know how good Rocky and Fish have been at the back. Uh, and when Paul Hanlon has come into the team, he's not been, you know, brilliant. But uh, you know, give him his due. I thought he was fantastic on Saturday. Um, kept a clean sheet, of course. Uh, really kept that Guthrie boy quiet. I mean, he, he's a similar player to Newbley, but I just feel like he doesn't really have as much meat on his bones as, as Newbley does. I feel like Newbley gives him more of an attacking threat. Don't know if maybe he's been injured or something. Maybe that's why he never started, but thought yeah, it was think, strange that he, Martindale, he never played. Martindale, and amongst these tears and snotters after the game, um, well, I don't know if he's have seen it. If he's having to go and watch the, he done like a fourteen minute thing on uh, Livy with a <laughs> Livy social media guy, and there's a point where kind of obviously because he talks to the reporter and he's like, oh, blah blah blah, and then he looks directly down the camera, and he's like, please stick with me, stick with us, please. He's almost, you can almost see tears in his eyes. So uh, if you've not seen that, go and check it out because it's obviously. <laughs> The, How many times did he talk about budgets and money and national well, I was going to say, I listened, I listened to his Sky Sports interview, his BBC interview, and then I seen the Livingston one as well. I was like, right, I'm going to watch this to see if there's anything that I can maybe take and clip. And the on the Martindale bingo card, on every single one, finances dictate was what? <laughs> finances dictate. Finances dictate. Finances dictate what we can do. Uh, I must have heard like this budget. He must only have been given a budget of, like three pence or something because his budget keeps getting slashed and slashed and slashed and slashed. Um, that's all. He, that's all he spoke about. Also, Just, why is he talking about a lack of training facilities when there's literally pitches at the back of the stadium? Yeah. Well, that's that's another thing as well. The full football elitist. Like, I fucking right, get a grass pitch down. Although, in fairness, what I would say is that that Astro, if it wasn't windy, would have actually made for a good game because Astros, when they're absolutely soaking wet... Yeah, you didn't get that big victory. Are decent. No, no, that, but that's... When when the Astros are soaking wet, they, they actually play pretty well. I just think that the sooner that they're out of the league, the better. Yeah, I'm not a fan of them, to be fair. Uh, if, Kelly, fin- if Kelly are changing their pitch from Astro to, to uh, Grass, then keep them in the league forever. Make them unrelegatable. What a word that is, by the way. Cheers, unrelegatable. Uh, and finally, Sean, David Marshall again with another, excuse me, uh, superb performance. Is it just, do you think it's maybe confidence or having a actual proper decent goalie coach that's that's guiding him because I don't think it's any coincidence that a new goalie coach comes in with a new manager and his performances all of a sudden he goes through being really shaky on the ball when he's got it at his feet nervous when the ball's coming in his box to now he's quite he's actually really commanding at the minute and he's, that's not really a phrase that you'd actually associate with Marshall No, you've pretty much nailed everyone on the head regarding David Marshall I've obviously been critical of him um, up until maybe the last two or three weeks um, where he's pulled off some great saves and I think it does coincide with a little bit of belief, self-confidence in the fact that he'll be getting a better level of coaching um, day to day 
I think a lot of our players have benefited a lot from the the coach, the coaching team and the management team that that were brought in. Um, it was clear to see that he was on a, a heavy, heavy decline under the the previous regime and the quality coaching he was getting or lack of quality coaching. So long may it continue. Um, listen, I still feel like we we need better in that position, whether it be um, Wallacott or whether it be another. Um, but at the moment. Long may his form continue, and and hopefully he's, he's he goes on the upward trajectory. Yeah, so a big game going ahead in St Johnston next week, but we've got we've ticked the one game off. Um, I think everyone else would take the same sort of similar performance um, next week as long as we come back down the road with three points. But before sort of moving on that, I want to touch on something that happened during the week, uh, and okay, something please, that's kind of before a, we move on to that, can we please talk about the pies? Yeah, the pies will come there, don't worry. Thank you. Um, just as a throwback to, to mine and Liam's first sort of sojourn together uh, with the specky hot dog, um, Melkerson joined Strom Godset for £1.2 million with a 25% sell-on fee. Like, I know there's patter amongst the support, right, about um, ben Kensel being a like a Cockney salesman or whatever, but I tell you what, he's fucking, how the fuck have we managed to get over a million for him? Uh, here, I'm not being funny, but someone needs to check on that team and just double check that it was Melkerson that they meant to sign <laughs> because and it was for 1.2 million instead of 120 grand. Me, so there has been an administration error there. I know at the moment there's a, a guy for the club doing um, a project regarding a statue for the Famous Five, but I think we need to scrap that and get a Ben Kenzel one because the amount just get of a big, just get good, a big sunbed. Just get good fans. quality deals that he's pulled off and his time well, he, is, is phenomenal. One of the names of the stands to the Ben Kenzel stand. I was actually ben quite... Wheeler dealer stand. Given what he's done with Jair, um, Jair especially, I was actually quite excited for... Oh, so that. 100%. 100%. You can't turn um, 1.2 million down, though, no. for someone. No, no, that's what I mean. It's zero league goals for Hibs. I think it was, he never even scored a league goal for Hibs. That's what I'm saying, zero league goals. Oh, sorry. He scored, uh, the only goal he scored were what, the two in the cup at uh, Motherwell? Two in the cup and then one at home against Clyde, I think. At Clyde, I. Where he's at a backflip. Yeah. Uh, but uh, even, like, the, you can't be fucking turning down. No, not at all. That level of money. And I suppose it kind of, obviously, we wish him the best. It's unfortunate that it didn't work out for him I don't think he's probably just a victim of circumstance when he came you know we, as he came in the door Boyle had just went out the door we were toiling under Maloney he was thrown in amongst it he'd never played on grass before and then obviously I don't think less. he was meant to be used so soon yeah. as he was so it's maybe a bit of a shame on him I mean chances are he'll probably go on and have a half decent career but it's a shame that's not going to be at Hibs but I mean, one point two million. Mm-hmm. I, I love, I love him a bit. So I think it would have, it would have worked out under Monty's um, regime, considering the way that he plays and the tactics and stuff like that. But like you've said, one point two million, unbelievable figure to make a profit on, on that deal and get obviously twenty five percent sell on clause as well is phenomenal business. Um, but listen, wish him all the best. Great talent, I think, um, and hopefully he goes on to have a very, very good career. Well, it's one point two million to add to the coffers that billionaire Bill and the Black Knight Sports Group 
supposedly there's a there's a good thread on Twitter from uh, I think it's is it Scott underscore Scott Miller, Miller. Uh, or Scott Miller one Scott underscore Miller one something like that um, that kind of goes through who these guys are um, and one of them is a guy uh, so it's Bill Foley who, who so anybody who doesn't know um, Bill Foley and his group currently own Bournemouth like Bournemouth are seen as the the sort of top team within his stable because they're in the uh, Premier League and then they've got Lorient that are in France. I'm not sure about, I th- oh, they're, sorry, they've just launched, um, is it the Auckland, Auckland Knights or something in New Zealand? Sean? Your, your guess is, it, I, I am aware of, of the yeah, club, so but I didn't know that he was involved in, in the purchase of the club. Yeah, so they've just uh, won a, so I won the rights to a franchise for the A-League for a second team in New Zealand to go alongside, is it the Phoenix, Wellington Phoenix that are yep. over there? Yeah. Um, and then he also owns the Las Vegas Knights, I think they're called, um, who won the, who are a nice hockey team. They just recently won the Stanley Cup. His aim was to win it in six years and he won it in four or something like that. But there's serious money involved with these guys. One of the partial investors is worth $9.7 billion. And like, yeah. it's, all, it's, it's all fine and well though, but I think for me the the intentions of it, uh, I'm skeptical about in regards to like how it's going to be distributed, the priorities where we're going to fall. I think obviously the Gordons will will do the right thing, um, because they clearly have the the best intentions of the club at, at heart. Um, but how that will look in regards to investment and loans option to buy on our players, the tiering system between us, Lorien and, and Bournemouth, that's the only part that I'm very sceptical about. Listen, obviously it's it's all fine and well getting somebody with that amount of wealth to come into the club, but he's only going to have a is it twenty four point nine percent stake that he can I think that's the max that he can have. And the Gordons aren't going to sell more. And if we're part of a franchise, I don't know what that will look like moving forward. So that's the only issue I have. I think I'm going to blow your scepticism right out of the water, Sean, by going, I've deliberately not looked at any of this because I knew if I would, I would get the biggest and hardest chub on uh, that I've ever had in my whole entire life because there's only good things that come with your football team having a lot of money. It's as simple as that. Look at Man City. They won the Champions League last season, Sean. Man City won the Champions League. They've got a lot of money. They're owned by a state, though, technically, aren't they? So You look at things like like teams that are part of these multi-club groups. You look at Girona, they're sitting top of the La Liga at the minute. Scudded Barca last night. Melbourne City. Melbourne City, obviously, Monty swatted them aside last season, but before that, they were pretty dominant um, in Australia. So uh, it's, it's exciting. I think it's natural, though, that given where they are, in the footballing world, that Bournemouth would sit at the top of the the top of that sort of franchise or pyramid, if you want to look at it like that. But I do think that we are. A they've, very not been, they've not been involved in Bournemouth for. An they've awful not been there for too long now. But but I think given the the league they play in and the access to the finances that they've got for playing in the Premier League naturally has them sitting sort of at the top of the the hierarchy. Yeah, although although you would get you know. A lot of Hibs fans that would argue that we're a bigger club than them or whatever. Like, well, I mean, hang is you, you only need to look at our um, our game against them in pre-season to realise how much of a serious outfit they are. Yeah. And to be honest, I think they'll be absolutely fine. 
for Premier League survival this season, they yeah. look like they're kind of going down the, the sort of Brighton route with with um, trying to establish themselves as a as a proper Premier League club for a long time. So hopefully, hopefully they manage it. It's exciting though. Like yeah. it's one of these where I do think for from our perspective we're attractive given that we've probably got the easiest route into European football. You know, if you've yeah. got um, you know, in, France, in France, they're competing with PSG, Lille, Monaco, Lyon, um, Nice, Rennes, all of these types of clubs. Obviously, Bournemouth, chances of them getting in Europe are relatively slim, whereas we've obviously got probably the best chance out of the group the clubs to be to be looking at getting into Europe. So I it's exciting. We should hopefully know more on on Thursday, but I do your do your due diligence on the the Black Knight Sports Group and see if we can see if we can transfer Sean's scepticism because when Monty was one of the names linked with the job, Sean was uh, toot tooting all aboard the Monty train. So worked, what out, we, worked out quite well that hasn't hasn't it so far. Yeah. So you're welcome. What we need is somebody somebody to turn Sean from a non-believer into a believer. Not that he's a non-believer, but you know what I mean. Um, right, moving on, we'll start to wrap up a wee bit. We've got the Pioneer ship now. Which pie is the best in the pie review? Which pie is the best in the pie review? So we'll just go with mines uh, to start with. I just went for the standard steak and gravy. Um, I'm going to go zero on price because it was like four quid. Unacceptable price for a pie, in my opinion. We can't give zeros. We can't give zeros. Well, I'm given a zero. Well, you're not given a zero. Because well, it's a one. It's a one. Price is a one. Temperature is a one. It almost burnt my fucking mouth off. Um, crust is a one. It was soft. Literally, it was like picking up a sponge underneath. To the point where I was holding it, like my, my thumb was almost piercing through it. Like when you wipe your arse and your finger fucking just rips the paper. The one that made like had a good day on Saturday. What yeah. shite paper do you buy? No, Liam told me that one that time, that one time. <laughs> um, so what have we got? One for temperature, one for crust, uh, one for price because the price was outrageous. One for uniqueness because it was shite. And uh, one for the filling because I felt like I just had one giant blob of meat in it. So yeah, five out of 25 for me, lovey. Five out of five. That's fairly heavy. And remember, I had an absolutely honking pie away at uh, St Mirren last year. But this pie is that far and away the worst pie that you've ever had? Yeah, from overall experience of pies, yeah, that was fucking atrocious. Did you say it was just one blob of meat? Yeah, just like, so it wasn't like the gravy then with like wee bits of steak. It was just a big fucking, like a big bit of cat food. Mmm. That's, that's so, yeah. Good. Two words. Not for me. <laughs> mine was the, mine was the opposite end of the spectrum to you, Craig. Mine was actually really good. I got the macaroni pie because Owen and Livingston, um, you obviously need to go for a macaroni. The temperature I've given a five. It was perfect. Um, nothing really much else to say about that. I've had a lot of good um, 
temperature with my pies this season. So I've been very impressed with mm. with uh, a lot of the a lot of the places that I've been. Cruft, I'm giving a three, Sean, and I, I put it was soggy in parts. I wish it was crunchier, although the rim was good and the lid impressed me because the lid was like Ken when you when you bake cheese in the oven and it goes like that crispy way. It was like that. Um, so that was very, very tasty. Uh, filling, I've gone with a four because it was filled to the brim with macaroni. It was cheesy. It was stringy. It was very, very tasty. Absolute magic. Really enjoyed it. Price, uh, I've gone with a four as well. Now, it was £3.50, but I felt like, uh, like Martin Boyle, it was absolute value for money because it was bigger than you'd usually get and it was absolutely packed. So I was more than happy paying £3.50 for that pie. Uh, uniqueness, though, I've gone with a two because macaroni pies are pretty pretty common um, across the board in Scotland. So that's a five, three, four, four, two. So that's 8, um, 12, 16, 18, 18 out of 25 mm-hmm. for Livingston's macaroni pie. So well done, Livingston. Fuck you, Livingston, is what I say <laughs> to your pie. Get a grip. Which pie is the best in the pie review? Which pie is the best in the pie review? Um. Right, we will sort of start to close off by going through our favourite bit, which is the listener questions. Now it's time to enter the hip Ramble listener questions. And obviously we'll start the same way that we always start. Uh, what's for tea, lads? Thanks to John, obviously, for that one. Con Linguini for me. Wow, absolute shock. I've never been more shocked in my life. <laughs> you, have you had a shop yet? Is that, is that what you've not done? Or? No, we, we did a shop on... Uh, it was either Sunday or... It was one day not that long ago because there's plenty of food in the fridge. Mm. Uh, I am doing um, like a homemade Nando's air fryer chicken butterfly sort of deal tonight with berry chips and garlic bread. Needs the rice, I think. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I've got any rice in the cupboard. But if I do have, I usually get halloumi. Megan doesn't really take halloumi though, so I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just use half the halloumi. So I always end up using the whole fucking block of halloumi. And the next day, I'm shit for day. I need them. You can never go wrong with too much halloumi. I think. Well, you can. Uh, you really can. Jacket. Jacket taters with cheese and beans was mine's. A nice, solid start to the week, tea. Beans on uh, first or cheese on first? Uh, cheese then beans. Yeah, correct. Uh, if you do beans and cheese, you're a fucking wrong one. Um, and John's also asked, what's the best alternative to a pie? Oh. In what sense? Like, at a football match or...? You like the football, eh? I would say. I was really annoyed when we went down to Birmingham for the Villa game um, and they had zero food because uh, I was really looking forward to their steak and chips that they have with an Argentinian spin on it. So that would be the best option. I'm still hoping to try it at a ground somewhere. I'd go for a pizza, like pizza 
like Pizza Twist or Half Pizza or the old Easter Road pizzas, GBNF. GBNF. Yeah, it's and brown sauce. Yes. Um, uh, Danger Mouse, that one weird guy, uh, <laughs> has said, uh, what Christmas present would you like to give Nick Montgomery? I don't think the one that I would say is uh, allowed. <laughs> uh, a big wad of cash is found in January. Um, the luxury of coming on the podcast with us for a chat. Oh, oh sorry, I sorry, Nick Montgomery. I, I thought you meant Danger Mouse. Absolutely no, <laughs> not a hope in hell. <laughs> um, what would I give him? I'd give him. Um... Right, good scene to if he gets a result on the twenty seventh. Oh, fucking I, hundred percent. Um. Ian Russell said, it's nice to see us winning ugly. Too often in the past, we would have lost a goal at the end there. I think that's a general consensus um, from us. We've got one from Rudy on Instagram. It says, uh, VAR came to a read for once. I think it was a penalty to them in the uh, I think it was a penalty to them in the first half, although some people disagree. And VAR also said, is at the end with a good decision for once? I thought Obelai should have been sent off for a denial of a goal score and opportunity. Then it wasn't even shown on sports scene some window. That's a good point. We no spoke about that. The challenge on Boyle. Um, I don't think it's a red, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's. it's, I think one it's, of those, a, it's an orange. Liam, it's one of those ones, one of my favourite ones. It should be a red, but isn't. Aye. I hate it when you say that. Yeah, but it's true, though. Should be a red, but isn't. It's an orange, I think. Yeah. And then uh, one of the last ones we've got, which will actually tie in, is uh, from Paul Mackay. So he's saying it's about block seven. Uh, he's saying about uh, he knows what they're trying to do. However, if anyone else, if no one else knows any of the songs they're singing, does it help the atmosphere? He knew part of the event. He song in a couple of the classics, Tin Castle Falling at Tin Castle Falling Down. Stephen Naismith's a fucking clown. Uh, it was catchy. Didn't get the last two lines of the tune. Don't know if there's any way for block seven to communicate or even give fans a wee heads up on these. Apart from that, three points and clean sheet. Well. As we do at the Ramble, we like to get the, the answers. So we went straight to the source and we messaged Block 7 and we said that, because um, I think that's been a bit of feedback across social media at times, is that the, all these new songs, like a lot of guys don't actually know the words, so it's hard to generate the atmosphere to sing along. Um, they've got a Lewis Miller one, uh, instead of the Bells How Cafu, it's the Aussie Cafu. Um, and what they're also doing is, Releasing, they're going to start releasing videos on their social media. So they are on Twitter. Uh, I know they've started 7. doing that, and that's that's helped, especially with the Jair song. Yeah. So at Block Seven Hibs on Twitter, if you want to get it there, that's where it like would be. I'm not sure if they've got a presence on Facebook. I don't think they do. So yeah, Twitter, Twitter most likely for that poll, and they'll put put stuff out. Can I just um, say that Block Seven were absolutely spectacular from minutes 1 to 90 on Saturday they were absolutely jumping and I don't think there was a point in the game where they weren't making a noise and I, I feel like it, uh, it really helped spur the players on, I'm pretty sure Jair was dancing to his, uh, dancing to his song again uh, during one of the breaks of play so it's clear that the players in um, Monty are appreciative of what they're doing so uh, keep it up lads Yep, and just to touch on 
uh, regarding Block 7 as well, is that they are currently throughout the month of December helping with the Community Foundation um, for doing like food, I think uh, like food donations, collections, um, winter coats, etc. for for kids. There have been a presence before the home game recently. At Easter Road, obviously, we've not got any, not got a home game now until March on the 27th. Um, but I do know that the Community Foundation are still accepting donations. A lot of people don't know that the Community Hub is still um, based in what used to be behind the goals in the famous five stand. Um, I believe they do two sort of lunches a week for local residents or anybody who just wants to go in for a scan and a, a bit of patter. So if you do have anything to donate, I know that the Community Foundation would be really appreciative of it. You can reach them on Twitter. Uh, you've also got Kieran Power, who's the Hib supporter rep. He's on Twitter. He's very sort of good at coming back to you with things. So if you've got any questions, queries, you want to donate anything, whether it be food, you know, some winter clothes, get in touch with us and we'll pass it on. If you're unsure about how to do it, we'll, we'll point you in the right direction. Anything to add to that, lads? No. Fantastic. Well, there's fireworks going on on my screen. Right, just a quick one. Um, Craig Levine and the Merry Band of Shite Bags next Saturday away in Perth. Um, I'm no looking forward to this one at all, like especially with Levine. Like he's just, it's one of them as well now because he's been away for hearts for so long and I've listened to quite a few of his Sacked in the Morning podcasts. I actually quite like him. <laughs> but... He's got, know. he's got St Johnston very St Johnstony again, yeah. which is the concerning thing for me. Added with the fact that it's Craig Levine, um, and obviously it's away in Perth. I know, I mean, their first half performance against Celtic a couple of games ago now it was very, very good. Um, and very Tommy Wright esque, isn't it? Aye, and yeah. the game of the game against Hearts away at Tynecastle, they were very unlucky not to get something speaking to. Uh, speaking to a few Hearts fans in that as well. So they're back playing the way that you would expect St Johnston to play and they're also now playing a way that you would expect a Craig Levine side to play. I am still very, very confident that Monty will get the job done and he'll he'll get away around it. We've got a phenomenal set of attackers going forward that we're going to pose plenty of threats. Um but then they've got quite a few scumbags at the back. So it'll be a, it'll make for an interesting matchup, that's for sure. Yeah, on an absolute tatty pitch as well. Uh, tatty field, sorry. Anything to add, Liam, before we before we wrap up? I fucking hate St Johnson. Yeah, I'd, they'd, they'd be like sort of near the top of my list for for clubs to go down. If it wasn't yeah, for yeah. Livy, if it wasn't for Livy stinking the gaff out tremendously, I would like uh, St Johnston to be down there. Get Livy and St Johnston out of the league. Get Dunfermline yeah. and Wraith. Uh, uh, Wraith. Uh, get Dunfermline back in the top flight, man. Yeah. If only for the St Johnston have got 12 with their 16 points from home as well, which is probably the, the, the most concerning part of it as well, especially now that they've got Craig Levine at, at the helm. So, um, yeah, but I still fancy wanting to get the job done. I would back up to get anything done, to be honest. So, fair, fair play to Craig Levine for getting them playing, but get it right up on when we, when we scumbag our way to a 1-0 victory at the weekend. Here's hoping. Well, we'll wrap it up there, lads. Um, just before we go, the pre-orders for the 8994 uh, Lee 7 stuff is now closed. So Liam and Sean 
we'll be working through those orders when they come when they come to us and we'll get them out to you ASAP. I don't think we've got an exact delivery date uh, for now. So just, they're, they're not going to be with um, they're not going to be with you by Christmas. Yeah. So I think we're probably looking at a start of the middle of January, maybe. Hopefully, um, I'll I'll speak to I'll speak to the suppliers and see what um, if they can give us any time frame. But yeah, because they're, they're bespoke and made to order, obviously it's a little bit more difficult to stick a timestamp on it. Yeah, so just keep an eye on the socials, we'll update you as and when they're ready and then we will potentially look to do a drop too once all the drop one stuff has been sorted and sent out. So if you missed out this time, um, just get in touch with us and let us know. It's always good for us to gauge this sort of level of interest before committing to putting stuff out. But other than that, have a good week. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next Monday. Yeah. Cheers. Let's get ready to rumble.